We thought we lost him, but uh, but he found his way back. We'll keep praying for him and his stomach issues that he has, and just pray that, that God would would heal him of that. If anyone needs a Bible tonight, he's up there ready to give you one. He's back here serving again. I mean, out of the hospital on Monday and serving on Wednesday, right? Yesterday, out of the hospital on Tuesday, and he's serving again. Wow. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And then, then one more thing was kind of exciting. A good friend of Joey and our family, Trey over here, um, just got drafted with the Nationals, the baseball team. And so just very awesome. I worked hard with him over the years and finally got to the point where, you know what, he's able to do it. And, and uh, no, it's, it's a, a just really great. And he's a great ball player and anxious to see what God's going to do through him. In, in his baseball career. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 42. And so if you turn there, but also turn to Matthew chapter 12, and you'll see why as, after we get started. Isaiah chapter 42 first. No, actually Matthew 12 first. But just get both places and we'll, you know, get to it. have a word of prayer before we begin. Father, we thank you for this uh, opportunity to open up your word and know, God, that every ounce of your word has something to say to us, something to teach us, some way to instruct us about you, to draw us closer to you. Lord, to help us to see how much, Lord, you love us and care for us. Lord, you've given us everything we need for life, for godliness, That's all found in your word. And so we pray, Father, that as we look to your word tonight, that we would be open to receive and to learn from you as your Holy Spirit teaches us tonight through your word. Bless this time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you look at at Matthew chapter 12 first, and you'll see why I'm having you turn there first. What's been going on there is that the Pharisees had been hassling Jesus on the Sabbath day. His disciples had picked some grains of wheat, and, and to eat, and which they insisted was a violation of the Sabbath day laws. Well, then inside of the synagogue, Jesus had healed a man whose hand was all withered up. And although Jesus told them it was uh, lawful to do, to, to do good on the Sabbath, the Pharisees thought otherwise. And so look at now uh, verse 14 of Matthew chapter 12. We read, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory, and his name, and in his name Gentiles will trust. You see, Matthew said that Jesus was the fulfillment of these verses before us in Isaiah 42. Now turn back to Isaiah 42. Look at verses 1 through 4 of Isaiah 42. We read, Behold my servant whom I behold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, 
and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. I mean, isn't that awesome? God, as we looked at last time, has been, been talking about these false gods testing to see, you know, if they can predict the future. Go ahead, say something, say anything to prove that you're God. Say something that's going to happen, but, but nothing comes to pass. But here is God predicting exactly what Jesus' ministry would be like, what he would be doing, so much so that Matthew quotes it and says it's exactly what the Lord says here in Isaiah 42. Verse 1, Isaiah says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect, one in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. That's how chapter 42 begins. Now, if you want, you don't have to, but you jump to Matthew's gospel again. Chapter 3, Jesus is being baptized. And in verse 16 and 17 of Matthew chapter 3, it says this, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased. See, God is saying there in Isaiah 42, my, you know, uh, uh, I delight in my Son, I put my Holy Spirit upon him, uh, and Matthew records exactly what's happened. This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. That the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. You notice that same anointing of the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus for his ministry that, that we also have that's available to us as well. Understand the Holy Spirit was already in the disciples when Jesus breathed on them. He breathed in them the Holy Spirit. But then he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And when, when they uh, arrived in Jerusalem, then the Holy Spirit came upon them. Why? For, for power, to be that witness for Jesus Christ. And that same power is available to us as we ask God just for the Holy Spirit to come upon me, to power me, empower me to do the work of the ministry. Go back up to verse 1 again for a moment. The Lord says, Behold my servant whom I uphold. See, God the Father is pointing out that, that Jesus is his servant. In fact, Peter used that same terminology to describe Jesus as, when he, as he preached in Acts chapter 3. He said this in Acts 3.13, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Paul speaks about uh, Jesus' entire attitude was that of a servant. Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7, speaking of the Lord who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Even Jesus himself said in Matthew twenty twenty eight that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I think even above all of that, in John thirteen twelve through 17, after Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples, he said this to them. He said, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What if we know these things? Well, if we know that Jesus was a servant, we know that he served his father, that he was obedient to his father, then we need to do the same thing, serving one another, serving our lives, you know, uh, giving of our lives for one another. In fact, we are commanded in the Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
So well, I have the liberty to do this, or I have the liberty to do that. But does your liberty trump your responsibility to love, to love and to serve one another? I might add that love is a verb. It's, it's action-oriented. It's not so much a feeling, but it's what you do. We're to serve others. We're to serve them in love, not grudgingly or not expecting anything in return. In that way, we're serving just as Jesus taught us to live by his example. Now, verse 3, the Lord says, speaking of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. It kind of was weird when I, you know, early on in my Christian walk, I thought, what is that talking about? What's a bruised reed and what's a smoking flax? You know, well, a reed, obviously, you see those like the cat of nine tails. It's got the long skinny thing on there. It looks like a hot dog on the top of that. And, and that's a reed. And, and a smoking flax is like a, you know, it's like a candle with a wick that, that you know, is ready to go out. Let me read verse 3 in the New Living Translation. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. See, when Jesus came to this earth the first time, he came gentle. He came gentleness. He came to this earth in kindness. You know, unlike the Jesus that some of the so-called you know, Christians and pastors present today, Jesus is not holding some big sledgehammer ready to bonk you over the head every time you do something wrong. That's not who our Lord is. You know, Jesus doesn't come down on us like that. He's the one who props us up like a, a bruised reed. He's the one who, who, who's, who's not blowing out smoldering wicks. Verse 4, he says, He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. Isn't that great? Unlike us, Jesus never quits. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't go, oh, Man, I am so tired of you, Tom. I, I, I don't know what to do. He doesn't do that. I mean, he stays with us. And, 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 every, and, and you know, he, he will come back. with what it says here. He will come back and establish his kingdom and justice on the earth just as he said he would. Now look at verse 5. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. You know, I read that and I think, you know, you just can't speak of God anymore without qualifying what God we're talking about today. I mean, today out in the world, there's so many people who worship all sorts of gods, uh, different concepts of God, that today we really have to be specific in the God that we're talking about. Here, this is the God who verse 5 says, Our God created the heavens and stretched them out. He spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. Let me ask you this. Do you ever realize how totally dependent upon God that we are? God created everything, including the breath that we breathe. If God decided he was going to remove the oxygen from the air, that would be it. would be done for. If God decided to shift the, the distance from the, the earth to the sun in the slightest way, either way, either we'd be all burnt up or be frozen to death. If he decided to stop the rotation of the earth, we'd be toast. Listen, it's all because of God's grace and love that we even exist today. Every breath that he gives us is a breath from God. Every day that we have is a gift from Him, and He alone deserves all the adoration and all the praise and all the glory. Verse 6 goes on. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. He says, first off, that, that uh, I, will keep you, I will give you a covenant to the people. Now, we know that night that Jesus 
was betrayed there in the upper room where Jesus really took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you, the new covenant that God has with man through Jesus Christ. Jesus would be the new covenant to the Jews, but also, it says, would give light to the non-Jews. That's the Gentiles. Jesus said of himself in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, Jesus is the light of the whole world, not, not just the Jews. And part of being the light meant giving light to those in darkness, to open the blind eyes, which he did. To bring out prisoners from prison, which Jesus also did. That was the work in the ministry of, of Jesus Christ. I think of when Jesus, after he was crucified, we read in Luke 16, 22 through 26, that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth and let on high those who were captive in, in Sheol, those who were in Abraham's bosom. He set them free. He brought them into the presence of God. Jesus also said in John 8, 36, so if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Paul talks about in Romans how we've been freed from the bondage of sin. All because why? Of Jesus Christ on the cross, taking our sin, taking the penalty of our sin upon the cross. And as we put our faith and trust in Him, He forgives us. He sets us free. We looked at this last Sunday on, on, in Second Timothy chapter 2 that, that those that don't know the Lord, they're in, in chains. They're bound by the devil to do His will. They don't even know it. They're chains. But Jesus come to set us free. Uh, how could He accomplish this so much for us? Well, verse 8 gives us the answer. Look at verse 8. I am the Lord... That is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Notice that the word LORD is in all capitalization. It's all, it's all caps. Uh, that's the word Yahweh there. It's not the title that we read elsewhere in the Greek, but it's a title there. It's, it's Yahweh. It's a, I am that I am. And, and, and I'm the LORD. He said, that's my name. I, that's what I do. What he's saying is, you know, what we're, we're seeing is God in the flesh came to this earth to redeem mankind. And then he adds this. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. That's heavy-duty stuff there. I mean, you see, anyone who ever seeks to serve God, anyone ever that, that, that seeks to, to honor God, you've got to remember that God will not give His glory to another. There's a lot of people out there that's seeking to bring glory to themselves, attention to themselves in their service to God. It's all wrong. See, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, not that they'll glorify you, they'll lift you up. No, when they see your good works, they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. All glory is given to God for what God has done through your life. See, we must take care that we do not serve God in such a way as to bring glory and honor to ourselves. And there's a constant danger because, man, our flesh... Man, our flesh delights in that, that recognition. It delights in that fame. It delights in that honor. But God here says, I will not give my glory to another. And I think the minute we start taking God's glory for ourselves, we're in big trouble with God. Again, because everything we have is God's anyway. I mean, He gives us the breath to breathe, the, you know, the, the, the ability to see, to hear, to, to, to move. Look at verse 9. He says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth. I will tell you of them. Again, I love this. This goes back to chapter 41 when the, when the Lord challenged the, 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 the false gods, the idols there, to, to prophesy. Say something that's going to come to pass. Isaiah, I'll re- remind you, Isaiah 41. You can turn there just a page over. Verse 22 and 23. He says, Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God. Just do 
good or do evil, that we may dismay and see it all together. But I love what the Lord says here in, in chapter 42. Now it's my turn. Now it's my turn. Behold, the former things have come to pass. In other words, take a look what I've said in the past. It's come to take place. It did. It happened exactly as I said it would. You see, that's, that's what Peter said was a huge basis of, of us believing God's word, taking God's word at what it says. He said that even more certain than eyewitnesses' testimony is the prophetic word of God. Jot down Second Peter 1.19. Peter says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We have God's word, the prophetic word that God says is going to happen is going to happen. God has been right, uh, you know, 100% time right, 100% of the time prophetically. So we know that we can trust what he tells us about the future is going to be just as accurate. Again, verse 9 says, And new things I declare, before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. I believe the things God proclaims to us in advance are really important for us to take note of. What exactly has God promised us for our future? Well, it says in His Word. Now, He's not going to tell you what you're going to eat for your cereal in the morning. Are you going to have breakfast in the morning? That's it. We're not going to find that in there. He's going to tell us what's important. I mean, He's already told us a lot already what will happen in the future, what the world will be like right before His return. We're going to look at Sunday, at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse, verse 1 there, where um, Paul says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. And he lists some of those things that are going to be in the last days before Jesus returns and, and what they're going to be like. And I, and I tell you, the list there, I'm looking at it, man, they're here already. Perilous times have come. But there's more. There's events that God has said in His Word that's going to take place that, that we know, that we can expect, that we can look for. The rapture of the church, where God's going to take us out of here before He judges the earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. 1 Thessalonians uh, uh, 4, 14 through 17. That seven-year great tribulation period. We know it's going to happen. God says it. It's going to happen. Revelation chapter 13. The return of Jesus Christ. The, the defeat of the nation's militaries. Revelation 19, 11 through 21. The judgment of the nations. Then going into the thousand year, the millennial reign of Christ, uh, uh, Matthew 25, 32-46, Revelation 20, verse 4. Then finally a new heaven and earth, Isaiah 65, 17, Revelation 21, 1. These are things that are laid out in God's word for us to know these are going to happen because God said, hey, I've told you before what's going to happen, they've happened, I'm telling you what's going to happen in the future, it's going to happen. And it's important for us to expect and understand because God's told us that, they, that before them that they will come forth. But not only that, Isaiah records there in verse 9, former things have come to pass and new things I declare. In other words, I believe that, that God also speaks to, to, to words to ministries and He speaks to individuals. I think I shared last Wednesday how the verse in Joshua 1.9 the Lord gave me when He called me out here to pastor the church. Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Man, I, when I got that verse, I thought, man, Lord, I, I, it's a big step coming out, leaving everybody we know, leaving family, leaving jobs, leaving everything. Lord, uh, you're with me. You've given me that word. Cling to that word. It was a prophetic word to me. I believe the Lord gave us, me another prophetic word last week when it came across Isaiah 41.10. 
It says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I thought, man, we're praying about this new property, about buying this property. Man, I think the Lord is, is giving me that verse again. Hey, go for it. This, this, I'm with you on this. I'm going to do this. I took that to mean a confirmation that moving forward uh, is of the Lord. Now, you know, the, the Lord may direct and give us a verse that really doesn't have the outcome we expect. Uh, he knows what's right. He knows what's good. But my point is that the Lord speaks to us through his word and it will come to pass his way and his timing and his plan. Now, I, I think for you, as with, as with me, you know, there's also private things, personal things that the Lord has spoken in my heart that I treasure in my heart. That I wait in joy and anticipation to come to pass. I, I know what the Lord has spoken to me. So that's what God is saying here. Just like the things I spoke of have come to pass, so too the new things that I speak to your heart will come to pass as well. Now, I've had people say, come up to me and say, well, thus saith the Lord, and the Lord has told me to tell you this. And, and I'm always cautious of that. I, I, you know, because if I'm seeking the Lord, I think the Lord's going to tell me personally first. You know, it's like, well, why didn't you tell me that, Lord? I mean, I mean that sounds good, but, but you know, I think he's going to tell me, tell me first. But, but you know, I, I'll say this. There have been times where someone, and maybe it's happened with you, where the Lord says, you know what, the Lord has laid on my heart this verse that, that I want to give you. It's really on my heart. I just want to share with you this verse. And, and indeed, I read it. I go, man, that's a word from the Lord. I need to hear that. I needed to hear that. Lord, Lord, thank you for that. Now, if I go... I don't know. Is that really a word? For, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, it, I'm not so sure about that. Then you just go back to Deuteronomy 18, 21, 22, which says, But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not come to ha- not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give the message. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. Simple enough. You know, there's been times in the past that I, that I thought, were from God. You know, and those things, most of them came to pass, but others, I realized, they were just my old flesh. Oh, Lord, yeah, this is from you. Man, this new car. Yeah, man, Lord, thank you for this new car. Uh, no, you know, Tom, that's really not from the Lord. It's from your greed and you want the new car. You know, I'm, you know but, you know, I'm glad that, you know, that I didn't speak many of them, those words of prophecy. And I'm really glad that we don't live under the standard of stoning someone to death when they speak presumptuously in the name of God. You're wrong there. But it's exciting when the Lord gives you a verse or gives you a word and you can see his hand in it. It makes you just want to burst out with praise. Well, that's what happens next. Look at verse 10 through 12. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them. Let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise to the coastlands. They just see this, 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 this opportunity to praise the Lord. I mean, all that God has done and how he speaks to us through his word. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. I think that's important. I think it's important that we... We uh, worship the Lord with songs that are fresh, songs that describe the work of God that's going on in our life presently and, and an appreciation of, of all that God has done for us. I think of the song that we, we see, we sing there pretty much, of The Sovereign by, by Chris Tomlin. It's one of my favorite songs. I, I mean, I listened to it and it just ministered to me so much and after a lot of the things that I've gone through in my life. I don't think that song would minister me as much 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I just go, uh, yeah, so yeah, God's sovereign, you know. But when you walk with the Lord for 20, 30, 40 years and go, man, God, you're sovereign. 
And, and that song you just have in your heart, oh, Lord, you're, you're sovereign, and, and I see you, and, 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 uh, and you understand that. Sing a new song. Sing songs about God is doing it now in our lives. And that doesn't mean you can't sing old songs. You know, oh, I can't sing any old song. No, no, there's some great old worship songs. It, it, it's just, you know, the songs that you're singing, let them be from your heart. Let them be what's going on in your life. You take them in. I mean, I, I love to sing the, the songs that you go, oh, man. Man, Lord, you're just speaking to my heart tonight's worship. Some of the songs are going, oh, Lord, I, I even wrote some, some notes down real fast. Like, Man, I like that. You know, just I want to remind myself later of it. Singing these songs to the Lord. You see, we just don't want, we don't want to get into that trap of, oh, it's the same song again. And then really singing, oh, I wonder how long it's going to go on. And all right, another verse. No. We want to know what we're singing. Singing that new song. Then Isaiah says, we're to sing his praise to the ends of the earth. That word praise in verse 10 is the word tehillah. It comes from the root halal as in hallelujah. It literally means to, to flash light on, to make boast of, to praise. So when we praise the Lord, we're shining light on what God has done. You know, it's like when you point out great stuff that, that, that someone's doing. Man, you, man, you're so talented. Or you're so smart. Or, or man, you're such a good cook. Man, you're, you're such a great artist. Well, when we're, we're praising the Lord, we're saying, God, man, I love you. God, I don't say man, I say God. I love you and worship you because you're so powerful, you're so merciful, you're, you're so loving, so kind, so righteous, and on and on and on. And as we do that, no matter how down in the dumps you might be, when you open up your heart in true worship to the Lord, it renews how great and powerful our God is, and it gives you even more reason to want to praise Him even more. Psalm 98 verse 1 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. We go on, look at verse 13 of Isaiah 42. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. Now, we've looked at Jesus coming forth as a servant and gentleness. Uh, he even allowed his enemies to appear uh, victorious over him as they crucified him. But when Jesus returns a second time, we read here he's returning as a man of war. He will return in judgment. What I find is interesting is that the Lord uses that phrase as a woman in labor here to describe the end times and what it will be like when Jesus returns to this. Now, truly only a woman can know what it's like to, to go through labor and, and, and delivery of a child. But at least you ladies can, can know that the Lord understands because, because I mean, he, he uses this word over and over again. Man, it's like, man, you ladies, when you go through labor and have give kids, man, it's going to be like that. That's going to be pretty bad. You know, it can be tough. We're told in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2 and 3, about the great tribulation. He says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Like a woman going ballistic in the delivery room. The Lord will return in a frenzied sure, you know. That's why Isaiah uses this picture of a woman in labor. He used it back in chapter 13, verse 8, when he said that the people are terrified. Pangs of anguish grip them like those of a woman in labor. They look helplessly at one another, their faces aflame with fear. In Jeremiah 6.24, we have heard the report of it. Our hands are limp. Anguish has seized us. Pain is of a woman in childbirth. See, the Lord here is speaking here in verse 13 and 14. It says, 
I've held my peace a long time. I've been still. I've restrained myself. I've not brought forth justice. I've not brought forth judgment. But now I'm going to cry like a woman in labor. I mean, think about how patient God has been uh, with mankind. Allowing this condition of the world to go on and on as long as it has, with all the atrocities and all the, the moral decline and, and, and the murder of innocent lives, babies, you know, abortion and, 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 and the, the homosexuality. I mean, people just outright turning their back on God. There's going to come a time where God says, enough is enough. Yes, he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But if you reject that free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, then all that is left for you is judgment. In fact, when that happens, the Lord prophesies here. Look at verse 15. He says, I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all the vegetation. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will drive up the pools. When the Lord comes back and returns, his judgment is going to be poured out on this planet He says the mountains will be laid waste. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 20 and 21, John saw that day in a vision, and he wrote as the Lord instructed him to, and and he said this, and speaking of the wrath of God, he said, and every island disappeared, and all the mountains were leveled. There was a terrible hailstorm, and hailstorms weighing as much as 75 pounds fell from the sky onto the people below. Revelation 16, 20 through 21. That's during the great tribulation period, coming, God's breath coming out upon a Christ-rejecting world. Could you imagine a 75-pound hell stone? I mean, picture a 75-pound barbell. I mean, you know, my son's got a couple 100-pound barbells in our garage. So take 25 pounds off of them. Then throw it up 30,000 feet in the air and then drop it down onto the earth. I mean, that's incredible. It'll go through just about anything. And here's what's even more amazing. When God is judging the earth for their wickedness, Revelation 16, verse 12 goes on to say that the people cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hell storm. Could you imagine a heart so turned against God that, that even when judgment is coming, instead of repenting and saying, God, forgive me, they're even turning more against God, cursing God. But listen, when Jesus returns, he'll brutally destroy all those who oppose him. He'll destroy them. Yet, here's the goodness. To those that know him, he will gather them before all that happens. That's the that's rapture of the church. You see, our Lord brings judgment, but he also brings rescue. You know, I love that about our Lord. Remember when God commissioned Jeremiah to prophesy? He said this in Jeremiah 1.10. He says, See, I've set this day, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. See, Sometimes things get so corrupt, before you can build up, you just have to wipe out and, and, and what's there. And so with Jeremiah, the nation had become so corrupt uh, uh, that the Lord had to root out, pull down, destroy before he began to build them up again. Now here's the, the same thing. God's judgment is first going to come, making waste the earth the great tribulation period. But then ushers in the new millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth, uh, a new earth like it was before in the Garden of Eden. Uh, just amazing. Now we read of the rescue. Look at verse 16. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things, these things I will do for them and not forsake them. I mean, is that the perfect description of the ministry of our Lord Jesus? Uh, I love that, that, that our God is not 
shy about playing both parts. He constantly tells of his love, his compassion, his mercy, his grace. But he also, he also freely speaks about his, his judgment, his wrath, his intolerance, and his anger. God never paints a one-sided picture of himself. He never pulls any punches regarding the reality of his wrath. Now the good news is Jesus said in, in Luke twelve thirty two, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that. Uh, you know, if things aren't right right now, if things aren't falling into place for you like you think they should, don't lose hope because Jesus is, is coming back and when he returns, all things will work out for you and until he returns, all things still are working out for you for the good. We may not see it right away, but our Lord does. So, there's a, an old song, I wasn't going to say it, but I'll share it. There's an old song, it takes me back to the early 80s, right after I got first saved, and there's a group called DeGarmo and Key, and and it was it was a call. It's called a song about um, even the losers win. I, I forget, but I wrote the lyrics down. It says, "You say winners don't need a crutch. Only losers can believe in such. You don't need God. You don't need anything. You'll face life alone and take what the future brings." Well, here's to all the losers that lose all guilt and sin. Here's to life in Jesus, where all of the losers win. You think I've missed what success can bring? I miss success that like trees miss cold in spring. You think that is far too much to give. That's what Jesus gave so that the loser could live. Here's to all the losers that lose all guilt and sin. Here's to life in Jesus where all the losers win. I like that. Because this world is not where it's at. And if we try to seek fulfillment and complete happiness with the things of this world, we're going to end up empty. But when we look to Jesus Christ and know that he's going to come back and, and, and we truly look to the things of the Lord, then we'll be fulfilled. We're just pilgrim sojourners here on this earth, and life is short. And he's going to come back, and he's going to come back with the roar of a lion. And when he does, he's going to set everything right in this world throughout the entire universe for all ages. See, if you can grasp that, if you understand that, that takes so much pressure off. So if your living room doesn't get painted this summer, you realize it's okay because Jesus is coming back. Okay, not a big deal. It's all going to be different anyway. If you don't get that promotion... It's okay, Jesus is coming back. Because when the Lord comes back, everything is going to be set right. Now to those that don't know the Lord, to those that don't trust in anything other than, than trust in themselves other than Jesus Christ, we read, look at verse 17. They shall be turned back. They shall be greatly ashamed. Who trust in carved images. Who say to the molded images, you are our gods. That's always amazing to me to think about. And, and, and if you think about this, what would you guys think if I, you know, brought in a, a G.I. Joe doll or some statue of an animal or something and said, we're going to worship this doll now? I mean, you'd think, I've lost it, and, and rightly so. I mean, I, I, I would have lost it. But think about how crazy it is that people throughout all the ages have still do turn to statues made of wood or metal. They, they bow down to them and, and speak to them, even appealing to them for help. Here, the Lord says, there's a day coming when those people will all be greatly ashamed. What do you look at to, to, the, to the horoscope for help? What do you look at to, to this person or that person instead of looking to the Lord? Listen, when we stand before the presence of the Almighty God, the only one God of the universe, they will quickly realize how stupid and shameful it's been for them to even think that something made out of human hands could be a God. In fact, Philippians 2, 10 and 11 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in the heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, they'll either say, Jesus is Lord, hallelujah, or Jesus is Lord, woe is me. 
But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Everyone. You just want to make sure that you can say Jesus is your Lord, that he's your Lord. Well, like Isaiah goes on, look at verses 18 through 21. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I stand? Who is blind as, as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant? Seeing many things but you do not observe. Opening the ears but he does not hear. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. Now this is really a little bit confusing to read. Because immediately we go back to where it says, we assume that my servant in verse 18 is Jesus. And, you know, we, we call this, this back, actually, in verse 1 we said that it was Jesus. But the my servant who is Jesus, a healer of the blind, we read, uh, you know, here in verse 17, but his servant is blind. This also is also deaf. We read all because he would not observe verse 20 or hear the commands. So it can't be Jesus. So who is it? Well, rather this speaks of the nation of Israel, obviously the Jews. Jesus was the servant of all, giving his life to the world, whereas the Jews were, were terrible servants of the Lord. I mean, they were given the law, they were given great promises, yet they refused to obey the Lord. Israel was so blind to the things of God that Jesus said in Matthew thirteen fourteen, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. They were blind to who Jesus was, but they should have known who Jesus was because they had his word. They were blind to it. They did not recognize him. Jesus said in John 1, 1, he came to his own and his own received him not. And here the Lord prophesies of their blindness to him, seeing many things, but you do not observe, opening the ears, but he does not hear. Speaking of that time when Jesus comes and they will not hear and they will not see. Look at verse 22 and 23. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers. For plunder and no one says restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear from the, for the time to come? See, because of their sin, the Jews stopped operating under the covenant protection of God. Instead of receiving blessings, they were receiving curses because they turned their back on God. And their, their enemies continued to attack them and often driving them from the cities uh, of the promised land which God had originally given to them. Now they're, they're hidden, you know, prison in their own homes. Ultimately, they were taken away by the Babylonians not to return for 70 years. But how many of the Jews would repent because of their adversity? This, is, this was the question that is asked. Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Now we have the same warning going out today. The Lord is coming back. The Lord is returning. Who's going to listen? Who's going to hear? Who's going to realize what we're saying is true? In fact, Jesus said in, in, in Luke 18, 8, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I think the number will be far fewer than what we even think. A clear indication about how bad things will get right before the Lord returns and a pretty clear picture of how things are right now. Finally, we read in verse 24, Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know, and it burned him, yet he did not take it to heart. See, God would allow Judah and Israel to be taken into captivity, but the Lord wanted them to know it's because of their sin. 
Because they didn't recognize the Lord. Because, uh, not because of, of these other nations being stronger or more powerful. God could have defended them from that. But he says, because of your sin. He says, who gave Jacob for plunder? Who gave you know, Judah, Jacob and Israel for the robbers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? And then he says, why? Because they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. See, the Lord will do whatever he can to get your attention. So that you'll see and that you'll turn from your sin. But if there's no, if you're not turning, if that doesn't happen, all that is left for you is for God to say, okay, man, judgment has got to come. You have to face some consequences so that you'll see that I'm a God who saves, that a God who, who can restore. For the Jews, they were destroyed and taken into captivity. Even the things that have gone on today for the Jewish people are a direct consequence for the rejection of Jesus Christ. But praise God that he's not done with the Jewish people yet or with the Jewish nation. We're going to get into chapter 43 next time and some great promises from them are there. So I encourage you to read chapter 43. Uh, We'll get into it next week together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, your prophetic word that you say what's going to happen. It happens and you tell us that you said it was going to happen and it happened just the way it happened. Lord, you're so good and so amazing. And Lord, we know what is in the future. We know that you said there's going to time on this earth. Well, men will reject you. They'll be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of you. They'll have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof, your word says. Well, I recognize, I see that all around today. So Lord, we recognize your return is near. Help us, Lord, to live for you each and every day. Help us, Lord, to surrender any parts of our life that we might be holding on to that, that we need to be set free from, Lord. You, you came to this earth, Jesus, to set us free from our sin and from the chains that bound us of, of sin. But, Lord, I know there's times in our lives that we may pull things back into our life. Lord, help us to, to denounce that, to turn away from that, Lord, and to live for you. Thank you, Lord, for this time tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word. Pray that you'd bless us as we... Uh, Just have the fellowship time afterwards, Lord. We pray that you're glorified in our lives and all that we do, all that we say, Lord. That you get the glory, that you get the honor, that you get the praise for the great things that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.